My name is Susie Can, and I hope you enjoy exploring with me the thoughts that come with this thread. If you have any interest in supporting what I'm doing or getting in touch, please do so through the website kylak.ie, where you will also find other resources and connections that I create around each podcast so that if some of the tweaks of interest come to you through them, you have a place to go to go a little further and deeper or to find other information or to find a way to support by maybe wanting to collaborate or offer something or even a donation. Thanks for listening. In this episode, I'm going to read the next chapter of the draft novel that I wrote. And since the last time I read it and published it as the first part of this podcast back at the solstice, I've had interest from a publisher or an editor in at least reviewing the rest of the manuscript and potentially publishing it. That is still a lot of ifs, something that would be really exciting for me if it does happen. In the meantime, I'm going to continue to read it and talk about it here on the podcast. And with each new batch, when I'm talking in this episode uh, and thread about the novel, I can update listeners as to the progress on that front. So before I begin to read the second chapter, I'll just give you a little orientation to my thoughts when creating the second character in the novel that you're going to be introduced to. She's conceived as, or in fact, one of the things I'm contemplating is whether her gender is she, but she's conceived as the great-great-granddaughter of Judith Hode, who I interviewed in another thread in the first a batch of the podcast. And why I wanted to have that lineage was because I wanted to imagine a child who's growing up in a less interrupted lineage of people who are connected to the old ways or the earth honoring ways or the cycles that connect to our more ancient cycles uh, in ancestors following the seasons following the celebrations of life cycles. And so this is where this character comes from. And so I'm imagining what I already know to exist in Ireland and in fact have been part of creating for myself and for my children and for other people as well. Events and cycles that are celebrated using inspiration from those kinds of traditions that everybody once knew who was connected to seasonality, nature, and life cycles. So this is me imagining a quite embedded culture that is taking place. And I decided to locate this character up in Donegal, where Judith lives now, partly because I have a love of that part of the world, but also because I feel that the edge counties and the more remote counties, Donegal in the north of Ireland, and Kerry, and maybe Cork in the south, 
and the more western counties and islands in Connemara and Mayo and over the shores into the Aran Islands and other islands are places that older cultures survive and thrive in story and in music. And so I thought that was a good place where I could imagine that these cultures have thrived and adapted and maybe deepened their practices in ways that I hope to explore in this chapter. Chapter 2 Jules, pass the willow, can you? Here, who do you need it for? Old Martha, she's got a few aches and I thought she'd get some relief from a bar confusion. When'll you be back, ma'am? Will I start supper? Yes, thanks, lovey, that'd be great. You're a star. But don't forget, go spend time in the place. Jules nodded and watched her mother back out the door, steering her wide basket behind her. She sat a while longer and stretched her toes towards the last embers in the grate. She'd have to bring in some more fuel for cooking before evening, but for now she was in no rush, delighting in the long day alone ahead of her. She lifted a book from a small table on her right and skimmed through the pages of charts and symbols. She picked up a small bound notepad, one of the many she'd made herself over the winter, and a piece of homemade charcoal. With one of the chart pages propped open on her knee, she started to sketch a loose collection of lines. She paused, looking at the chart, then set it aside. She closed her eyes and added a few more lines and shapes to her page. She opened them and squinted at it. Here and there, petals and blades of grass could be seen in the fabric of the page. These she let blur into the image until it started to form something out of her abstract scribbles. It was a woman's body with a mass of flowing hair standing straight. Jules added to it easily now, bringing out the lower limbs and then letting the feet turn into roots and the arms rise up to the sky like branches. She reached for the little pigment palette and brush. Feeling too lazy to get up for a jar of water, she licked the brush and added russet to the hair and leafy hands. The woman was now half woman, half autumn tree. She stopped and put down the brush and let her eyes blur again, looking at her creation. Grania, the name, came from somewhere in her mind. She lifted a narrow piece of charcoal and wrote, Warrior Grades, Grania, at the bottom of the page. She felt quite drained now and refreshed all at the same time. She was ready to go to the place. Lifting her old cape, one her aunt had woven for her two years ago, and was she was nearly too big for it, Jules knew it would have to do until the women finished her new earth-moon coat. She closed the door after her and headed into the stream. It looked cool and clear with the decent thaw, and she turned up and headed uphill along its banks. 
There were birds everywhere, waking up from the long winter and getting busy building nests. She climbed steadily for an hour, enjoying the spring sunshine that filtered through the thin canopy of willow, birch and alder that ran along the stream. When she reached the place, it was warm and the light breeze had stopped taking any last chill away. She found her sheepskin rolled up under the rocky overhang, sitting where she'd left it on the logs. She unrolled it and stretched out, letting the sun warm her. She wondered if her ma'am knew where the place was, or whether her ma'am and maybe even had had this same place for herself years before. The women in her family had been finding a place for generations now because of her mother and her friends and most of the girls on the Donegal Western Island had a place too. She was glad hers was not likely to have been used by anyone outside of their family because they had lived there for many long generations. She thought her mother didn't know. In fact, she was pretty sure that she went out of her way not to know and was also going out constantly since things were warming up. Jules knew that it might just be because it was spring and lots of people needed tonics and treatments, but she was also aware that it was to give her space and time to really be alone in the place. She sat up and pulled a little leather sack out from its hiding place and started to place things around her on her rock altars. In a circle, with herself at the centre, she began the ritual and sang a short invocation, Oskelga. Then she closed her eyes and waited. A few images of birds in sunlight flitted through her mind. Two in particular seemed to draw her attention, flying higher than the forest. Then they took fright and disappeared. She was alone on a lane, and something was coming. She could make out a shape, a sound, and something else. A bird-like essence flew towards her. She saw she was holding a net and swept it up and caught the bird spirit. The shape on the road drew close. A boy came into view. Now he was on the stream in some sort of boat, and he drew alongside her. She offered him the bird spirit and said, It's yours, take it. But the boy looked through her and the spirit and faded into the river. Jules awoke some time later. It was getting cooler. She tidied away her things and made her way back down the stream. She stopped off at the winter larder and lifted some root veg to roast for supper. She picked up a kindling bundle at the door and went inside. It took her no time to get the stove going and scrub the veg. She sprinkled them with poppy seeds, thyme and rosemary, and just a few knobs of butter, and popped the tray in the oven, which seemed to be warming up nicely. She put the kettle on and plunked into the same cosy chair she'd sat on that morning. She picked up and opened the notebook. She glanced at the warrior queen, and then she wrote on the page opposite, Birds, two flying high, lane, 
something approaching, bird spirit. Lost boy, refuses gift. She paused then and scratched out grift and wrote, spirit, his spirit? She added a few more question marks just as her ma'am came in looking tired. Hi ma'am, Jules said cheerfully. Supper shouldn't be long. Did you have a good day? Any word from dad and the other men? Hi Jules. No, nothing yet, but it's early you know. I've had a busy day, plenty of villagers wanting tinctures and such. I collected up a good number of empty jars and bottles from people, which is good as I'm running low again. I'll be glad when that boy comes with the wagon full of trader goods. What boy? Jules said. She raised her voice just a little, but it was enough for her mother to notice. Why? Her mother turned teasing. You said boys didn't interest you. Maybe that's just village boys. Would a stranger intrigue you? Ma'am. Jules pouted grumpily. Oh, don't get your knickers in a twist. It's just a passage boy from Dublin. He's being sent all the way here for his journey, and he's looking to do the trader's usual trading for them, plus some of his own. At least that's what Mars the Post said. Her word was from the wires. She continued, sounding happy, Jules thought. Should be a good trade, with plenty of cloth in the village, not to mention all the dried fruits in my treatments. We should have ourselves well set up till autumn, out of it if it all goes well. Oh. You all right, Jules? Did you get to the place today? You didn't just sit where I left you, did you? She said, laughing. But the question was sharp in her voice. No, ma'am, Jules responded indignantly. I got out, don't worry. She hesitated before saying, It's just my vision dream today. Her mother turned from her unloading and looked directly at Jules. Now, you know that's not for sharing. It just dilutes it. All the meanings will come clear to you someday. Some of my visions took twenty years to make sense and then one day something would crop up and I'd be back in a slash to the place and everything would click into it and it would make so much sense I couldn't believe I didn't know it all along. Of course I did really, but you just have to be awake to it, that's all. But Jules couldn't resist asking, could something in a vision dream be for now or for very soon I mean? Jules looked at her mother intently, not sure why she had to know so desperately. Well, that depends. Her mother was taking her time now. Jules recognised the pace and tried to calm her own impatience because she knew if she let out any more, her mother would take twice as long to tell her. She watched as her mother set the table and lifted the kettle off the boil and poured it over some herbs in the pot and set it on the trivet on the table. Only then did she pull out a stool, sit opposite Jules, and resume speaking. You know there are minor visions. They are meant to simply teach you to pay attention. They come often clear more quickly. You've had a few this year, and worked out their meaning fine. They will continue to come from time to time, but since you found the place and used the true invocation, the visions you're receiving now are major visions. Remember, 
that have to do with your path and who you will meet in your journey through this world and what your purpose will be for each age. Most people have three purposes that will come about in your lifetime. You'll sense them each time. You'll have a kind of a major, aha, although the visions come to you now. You won't know the full meaning of your first purpose, and it won't be clear until your earth-moon ritual. So you don't have long to wait. Yes, ma'am, but what about people? You mean your teachers, guides, soul partners? Yes. Well, you'll be meeting them in a way in your visions too. Most of them won't come into your life until you're a good deal older. You're just getting symbols, things that will help you recognize them when the time comes. Why is it always in the far future? Well, that's just the way it is for most people. You have to practice, work, perfect your purpose, and be ready to meet a significant teacher or soul partner before you're capable of creating space for them in your life. But what about the people you met before you know your first purpose, ma'am? And why do you say most people? Just think of people you know now as playmates, family. We're all part of those who nurture you through childhood. But this is all about leaving childhood. Her mother's laughter filled the room like a warm gush of air from the oven. Jules looked at her expectantly. Oh yes, child. But it takes a bit of time for that to really take place. Like going on a journey. It can take a short time or a long time. And that can depend on the route. I said most because it's mostly the same for most women. We go through what an old psychologist would have called developmental stages. And we mostly get there at the same sort of pace. There are some people, especially those with stronger gifts of perception or sensitivity, might get to a stage quicker. Maybe because they can't use the silly distractions of their stage like giggling with other girls and so on. Ma'am, are you saying I'm this way? Well, all I'm saying is you've always been very quick, no matter how I tried to slow you down. You're very like your dad, and yes, you're sensitive too. You've learned as much as I can teach you, and that's quite a lot considering where it all came from. Great-grandma Judith was years ahead of her time. She drew the first circles of women here to the roundhouse, and she was old then. She kept the old ways alive. Tough old hag she was by all accounts, living off-grid and did things her own way, while the world rushed headlong into the collapses all about her. So perhaps you will begin, ahead of the posse too. But don't be so eager if you can. Once you cross into the next stage, there's no going back, you know. Childhood daydreaming's a nice time, I still miss it. But that's enough of this for tonight. How's them veg coming? I'm famished. As that is the first time I've read that second chapter in a very long time, I'm quite surprised to see how much I included that echoes the interview that I did of Judith Hode in that latter part, especially about her doing it her own way. I don't think I had remembered that that had come into it. As I look Back on this, I can see the thoughts that I had around the imaginal world and ways that 
children and adults access that in recent times. And this will link, I think, to several of the other threads at this embolic release that I'm thinking a lot about the world of creativity, the imaginal world, and the need for visioning when we try to move forward in new ways in the world. And so the setting for Jules is having learned that maybe in the period that I'm imagining as the collapses, that they have made sure to continue it and foster it in children. And I think I was imagining what does it take to foster imagination in children? And one of the things that I've created is this notion of a little place hideaway, a kind of sacred or special den for jewels. And it's something that I found for myself and I think a lot of children that have the freedom to explore often find some kind of a little space that's their special nook. And it can be outdoors or maybe sometimes it's in a house. And I also watched my own children find that. And I particularly remember a time when my daughter was probably younger, like eight to 10, I would think younger than I'm imagining Jules, but where she created a little space and she played up there and she brought special things with her and kind of decorated it. It was up beyond a beech tree on our small holding. And it was that kind of closed in, in nature, but had its own magic perhaps had its own uh, sense of mysticism, which I think is part of what I'm imagining for Jules. And that that knowledge for her and her mother and the women that her mother has also been part of a kind of leader in the community and healer in the community in that lineage that I imagine from Judith, that they've come to know that this is really important and and it's really what our children do is that they follow what we place importance on. And so I'm imagining that there's all those processes of being a maker. Jules is imagined as having made her own paper and her own little books so that she can during this time in her life note and draw and dream and play with imagery and words. And there's some connection there to some of the cultural stories and narratives that she's been exposed to. And now she's exploring her own personal connection to those stories or to those characters, like the notion of Ronya Gronyuil character. For me to think about how this will weave as I recall parts obviously of the story I've written but I don't remember everything about it but I know that I was thinking here about the way in which you can have a, a bit of foresight a bit of a feeling that something's going to happen and then something does and so that's what is the echo here for Jules is that there's something of a foresight happening in her daydreaming that we'll see what comes when the two characters in the story begin to come closer together. I'm also starting in this chapter to give another part of the impression of the world that I've imagined. So I'm talking about an Ireland that I've imagined has more island parts to it due to sea level rise. And so the Donegal Islands 
are part of this imagery. And I'm also imagining people going back to a lot more localized production for their basic needs, for their food and their shelter, but still wanting to trade, still wanting to have access to some goods um, from outside of their own area. And so this is where the boy Rowan is coming towards them with traded goods. And it was just wanted to imagine what kinds of things could still come from Donegal in a post-industrial period, vibrant and resilient community and village life and the kinds of things that could be being produced. And so I've come up with some of those and included, which again relates to my inspiration from Judith, because she wrote this book called Donegal Tweed back when she first came to Donegal. So I'm imagining a resurgence and a regeneration of craft work and people with those skills still passing them down. And so that that idea of Jules Cloak being made for her and that being really important in the celebrations and rituals that are coming later on in the book. And it's also an important trade good. So yeah, it will be interesting for me to see because I don't remember everything I've read in the book where I can see that they're going to meet up soon (laughs) and we'll see what the two different worldviews that these two children bring to each other and what's going to happen them in between.